Scripture uh, often relies on references to uh, commonplace things. You notice that, right, if you, as you read through it? And it's, it's things that we see, things that we use, things that we experience on a fairly regular basis. And the reason for that is it's, easy, it's very easy for us to associate our minds with things that are familiar to us, isn't it? That's, that's what you teach children. You teach them based on something they already know, then you take that a little bit further and you build on it. Well, that, that's at least the, the theory, that that's the, the best way for us to learn is by building a little at a time. Scripture makes several mentions over, over the course of Scripture to the, uh, the work of a potter. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. The title of the message is The Work of the Master Potter. Pottery and it's uh, the people who crafted it, uh, referred to as potters, uh, they were very important to the ancient uh, cultures that are described in the Bible. Because, And we know why. Because uh, they used pottery for a lot of things that we don't use it for today. We have stainless steel cookware. We have china plates and, and, and those nice paper ones that you, you don't have to wash. We've got all of that. They didn't have that. They had, to, they had clay pots that they relied on. And so the people who made those pots were very special craftsmen. And everybody wanted some of those guys around. And so um, the, the, when Scripture refer, makes references to uh, the potter or to the potter's vessels, those visual images are often used to convey some spiritual truths, and that's what we're going to be looking at this morning because those images are still very meaningful to us today. Even though we may not rely on pottery as, as much as they did, we think of it more as, as a thing of beauty, though some of us still have uh, nice little pieces of pottery that we actually use, don't we? Uh, and that's a perfectly way to serve some really nice pin, a thing of pinto beans on a Sunday afternoon, isn't it? some mashed potatoes and you, you even put a put some cornbread in there that'd be fine wouldn't it so we th- those images still mean something to us today and so we're going to be looking at them uh, and we're going to be looking at uh, a brief glimpse of uh, the potter's work or the master potter's work and we'll get to that first we're going to be looking at uh, this passage in Jeremiah 18 that I've asked you to turn to but uh, later we'll be looking at an occasion when uh, Jesus exemplified the work of a potter and then we're going to look at the promise of Scripture that he still fills the potter's role in lives today. But first, I want us to talk about, uh, we'll be looking at several things, but the first we'll look at is the potter's method, the way that a potter went about doing his, his job. And that's the reason I'm, I've asked you to turn to um, Jeremiah 18. It would be so nice if I had done that ahead of time. I wouldn't be taking your time now to turn to it. Jeremiah chapter 18. Uh, Jeremiah at one point was instructed by God to go to the potter's house. And because he wanted him to see, get a glimpse firsthand what the potter did in order to how he went about making uh, a piece of pottery. And that's what we're going to read, starting in verse 1 of Jeremiah 18. Uh, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again, another vessel that seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. And we know that God did use he considered the, the, the nation of Israel 
the people, the Jewish people, as, as clay in his hands, and he molded them the way he needed them to go. And he does it in our lives as, as Christians. That carries forward into our lives as well. And so we'll be looking at that a little more. Let's pray, though, before we go any further. Father, again, we, we come before your throne this morning as an humble people. We know, Lord, we recognize in our own lives that we are clay in your hands. You've made us the way we are. And from time to time, you can remold us into something that uh, uh, more honors you, that is more uh, reflective of the image of Jesus Christ. You've told us in your word that for Christians, your desire is that we be conformed to his image. And we pray that you'd continue to work in our lives to mold us into that image. We pray this morning as we look at uh, uh, the example of a potter and we see uh, how the Lord Jesus exemplified uh, the work of a master potter. We pray you teach us from that. Help us to bring away, uh, take away the lessons that we need to see in this passage. We commit this time to you in his name. Amen. So, we, uh, the, the potter, as Jeremiah saw, he molded the clay in his hands. But first, before he could do that, he had to carefully select the materials, didn't he? I don't know if you've ever done any, any clay modeling. I've ne- I've, the only thing I've done is with the, the clay like Play-Doh or the other modeling clay that you purchase. I've never made it myself out of, out of raw clay, but I am told uh, that a potter had to be very careful with what clay he chose. If you're trying to get a, a vessel that's going to have strength and durability to it, you don't want to add other stuff into the clay. You want pure clay. Any kind of impurity, when you fire that, it may be beautiful when you, you've got it on the potter's wheel and everything, the shape is just perfect and all of this, but when you fire it, if there's an impurity in there, it can cause it to crack. Maybe immediately, or maybe when you go to, to cook something in that, in that clay pot, it may, it may crack. Or when you put it under any kind of stress, you may be carrying that valuable dish of, of pinto beans in it and the bottom fall out of it because there was an impurity. You don't want that to happen, do you? And so the potter had to be very careful when he chose the, uh, the, the materials, very meticulous in that. His intent, you can imagine this, if you've ever done anything, as a, as a craftsperson, his intent was a finished vessel that was useful for its maker and its user and that would um, be a credit to his craftsmanship. No one wants to be the potter known for, well, he makes cracked vessels. And if you try to carry anything in his pots, they're just going to crumble. You don't want to be that potter, do you? So the potter that, that Jeremiah saw him, he's very meticulous in this, and he found as Jeremiah was watching him, there was a mar in the vessel. And he said, I can't do that. I've got to remake it. I can't let that go. I've got to, I've got to do it the way it needs to be. And so he saw him taking that, uh, that kind of uh, painstaking approach to it to make sure that it was right. The potter, the lesson that we take away, the potter reserved the right to rework the vessel or leave it like it was as according to his to whatever he intended the purpose for that uh, vessel to be he could now if uh, in, a, in our day if someone's making a, a vessel out of clay they might look at it and say it's beautiful yeah it's got that little mar right there but when i fire it this is going to be something someone hangs on the wall or someone sits on a coffee table it's not going to matter i don't need the strength and durability so i'm going to leave it just like it is or he might say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the imperfection out. I'll, I'll remake it. If we take that forward, if we look at the way the Lord works in our lives, he is the master potter. Some of us have a defect or two, don't we? And God leaves them there. And he says, it, it's okay 
for the purpose I have intended for you, that defect is fine. Others may look at it and say, that vessel was marred, but God says it's the way I wanted it. I'll leave it alone. So the potter retains the, the right to remake it or to leave it as is. That's his prerogative. And we learn to live with that, don't we? You remember the story of the Apostle Paul when he had a, a thorn in the flesh and, and we're told that he asked the Lord to remove that three times. The Lord said, no. It's a, my grace is sufficient for you. That vessel was marred by something Paul couldn't fix. The Lord could have, and he said, I'm not going to fix it. I'll leave it that way, but my grace is sufficient for you. And, and uh, it doesn't appear that Paul's ministry was uh, impacted adversely in any way, does it? Because he was, he was a great preacher, and we are so thankful for the words that he's left us. Now, with that in mind, um, God's message to... Uh, Jeremiah was that uh, Israel was clay in his hands. He had selected them. He had worked them into vessels of his design. With that thought in mind, I want us to skip forward probably about six centuries. And I'll have you turn to John chapter 9, if you will. The Gospel of John chapter 9. That's where we're going to spend most of our time today. We're going to see an example of a marred vessel that comes into the hands of the master potter. And we're going to see how this master potter uh, deals with that vessel. Now this is, John chapter 9 is a fairly long chapter. I'm going to take the time to read it all. Please bear with me as we look through this and we'll see the whole story. It should be a fairly familiar story, I think, to most. John chapter 9 verse 1 says, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. This man was born blind. He was a vessel that was marred. And Jesus said, It wasn't because he sinned. It wasn't because his parents sinned. It's because you're going to see the work of the master potter in this man. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made... What? What did he make? He made clay. We're talking about a potter working on a vessel. He made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, Oh, he's just like him. It's not really him. But he himself, the man who was blind, he said, I am he. Therefore said they uh, unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that's called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. Said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. That's a different message. Jesus was making clay on the Sabbath day. And that rubbed the Pharisees further wrong way. Let's just leave it at that. Verse 15, Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that's a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, Well, he's a prophet. 
Verse 18, but the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. It's not good enough to believe the guy who was born blind when he says, I can see you. Hold up some fingers and I'll tell you how many you're holding up. That'll, I can prove to you that I can see. They didn't believe him. They didn't take his word. So they called his parents. Verse 19, and they asked them, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put forth or put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age. Ask him. Then again called they. The man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that where I was, I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will you also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we, we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. And here's where it gets interesting. I love this part. The man, in verse 30, The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is. And yet he hath opened mine eyes. You don't know where he's from, and yet he's, he's done a miracle like this? How could this be? Verse 31, now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. That's pretty good theology coming from this, this blind man, isn't it? Verse uh, 34, they answered, this is the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. It's a long passage, but it's a very good uh, story, isn't it? And I want us to see in this, there's so many different messages that could come out of this passage. But the one I want to see is the work of the master potter at this point. How he worked in this, the life of this marred vessel. The first thing we see is this marred work. This man was born blind. That was his natural state, blindness. He had never had his sight. It's a difference if someone has had their sight and it fades, either with age or from an injury or something. They know what they were missing, don't they? This man had no framework, no frame of reference at all for the sight that he had never heard. People could have told him, Boy, if you could only see this, if you could only see the sunrise this morning or the, the sun high in the sky, he had no idea what that meant because he was born blind. He could feel the warmth of the sun maybe. Maybe if someone said, yeah, this is the most beautiful snowfall. It hasn't snowed like this in, 
in uh, this area in years, he could have felt the snowflakes, but he would have no frame of reference as to what it meant to actually see them. This was his natural state, this blindness. There was no reason for us, however, to think that any of his other faculties were affected at all, were there? Because when Jesus put, uh, made the clay and he put it in his eyes, he says, now I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. Wash that clay off. Well, he knew he could get up and he could go. Someone maybe had to lead him there, but he could walk. He could get to the pool of Siloam. He was fine physically, wasn't he? And after, after he received his sight, his faculties of, of being able to reason and have conversations with people were really good, wasn't he? I mean, the arguments he came back with to the Pharisees put them to shame. I don't know who this guy was, but prior to this, he was a beggar. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't ignorant, though, in any way, was he? He knew the workings of God when he recognized them. And so his other faculties were fine. It seems like the, the, the only thing from the story, the only thing that was marred about him was his eyesight. They, his, he had eyes, they just didn't work. And yet, when we see him, knowing that he was born blind, he wasn't seeking for any kind of healing, was he? We see other passages in Scripture where a blind man might be uh, sat, uh, sit by the wayside, blind Bartimaeus, and he cried out to the Lord, Lord, you can give me my sight. This man had seems to have accepted the fact I was born blind, my eyes don't work, I don't know what that means. I don't know what it would mean if they did work. I just know I can't see anything. And so it wasn't healing. No one had ever heard of somebody who was born blind being healed and being able to see. No one. No one expected blindness to be healed in a case like that. No one had any of that expectation. Therefore, there was no reason for this man to have any hope that he would get that that sense that other people called sight. There was no hope of that in his life. He couldn't fix the problem. No one else could. He had accepted that current state of blindness as being his normal. He lived the life of a beggar, which meant he was totally uh, dependent on the generosity of other people, wasn't it? And he resigned himself to remain in that darkness of blindness for the rest of his life. He was, by every definition we can conceive of, a marred vessel, wasn't he? So we see that marred vessel. The next thing we see in this passage, though, is a marvelous reworking of that vessel. Jesus passed by, we're told, and he saw the blind man. It's verse, chapter 9, verse 1, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. But you to note, that man was blind, yes, but Jesus could see very clearly, couldn't he? He saw that man sitting there. He knew that man was going to be there long before he got there because Jesus was the Son of God. What he saw was a person that he loved sitting there hopeless and largely helpless for any help. Uh, there was nothing anyone could do to take away that blindness. And Jesus saw that. Just the way, uh, the same as, as God had told Jeremiah the prophet back in Jeremiah 1 verse 5 that he had known him before he was ever formed in his mother's womb. Isn't that good to know? God knew us that far back and farther. Uh, Jesus, the Son of the living God, had known this blind man throughout all eternity. He knew exactly who this man was. He knew what he was going to go through before he received his sight. He knew when he would give him his sight and what would happen after that because that's the God we serve. That's the Savior that we serve. How do we know that? Well, you know, that's, that's a bold statement. Well, he knew him throughout all eternity. He knew him before he met him that day. How is that possible? Colossians 1.16, when it's describing Jesus, it tells us that He's the one by whom all things were created, or it says all things were created by Him. That included that blind man. 
That included the blind eyes, the non-seeing eyes Jesus had created him. He knew him and he knew the darkness that this man had been living in all of his life. And he had come this day to fix that problem. To, to get rid of the marring of that vessel that, uh, that he had created. While other people could offer pity, Jesus comes along as the master potter. He can offer a lot more than pity, can he? He does that in our lives too, doesn't he? He offers far more than just pity when we have a problem. As the master potter, he could rework that vessel and he could remove the marred effects of that blindness. He was able to do that and he chose to. So what was his purpose, we might ask? Why, why heal this blind man? I think there's two reasons. As you can imagine, there was physically, he wanted to rescue that man from the darkness of unseeing eyes that he had lived with all his life. It blinded him to the world around him and everything in that world. He, he could recognize people by their voices or by their touch, but he never saw anyone. He never got to see his mother. He never got to see his father. He never got to see friends and people who, who would give to him uh, to help him with his living. He never got to see them. He could thank them, but he never got to see till I eyes on them. He never got to see that beautiful sunrise or any of that. Jesus demonstrated his power over that man's darkness by reworking his eyes. And I think it seems only fitting that the master potter would use clay to do that, doesn't it? Man, we talked about this last week. Adam was created from the dust of the earth, wasn't he? And so he was, we are essentially made of clay, if you want to call it that. We are pots in the hands of the master potter. And we're told in verse 6, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 15 that, that Jesus made clay to remold this pot or this vessel. And so only God could exercise that kind of creative power, or in our case today, God's Son. He, he could exercise that power. Physically, that was His purpose, to remove that, that blindness. Spiritually, His purpose was to rescue a man from the spiritual darkness of sin and to uh, that had blinded him to his condition before a holy God. That was Jesus' uh, purpose all along, wasn't it? To come and to seek that which was lost so that he might be saved. This man was lost as well. He wasn't just uh, physically blind. He was spiritually blind. And Jesus' demonstration of uh, power as the Son of God led that man who was formerly blind to believe in him, to worship in him, and to tell others about him. We see that in verses 35 through 38 as we get to the end of the, of the chapter. This man believed in Jesus. This man worshipped him, and he went and told other people about him. Isn't that what happens when people get saved? When a convert comes to know the Lord, we want, we put our faith in Christ, we, we trust Him, we worship Him, and then we want to tell other people that what He's done for us. This is a beautiful picture of someone who's been born again, isn't it? So Jesus had two purposes, one to physically remove that blindness and then to remove the spiritual blindness. So we see uh, the potter's work, we see a marred work, we see a marvelous rework, and then we see the man demonstrated what I'm calling a moving out work. He began to, to, to share what uh, the Lord had done for him. After he received his sight, he became a very outspoken witness, according to this passage here in John 9. Uh, he received his sight, remember, only after he followed Jesus' instructions to go and wash, didn't he? If he, he could have walked around with that clay on his eyes for a day or two, and he'd have been blind for another day or two. Jesus said, go and wash. He passed that test, didn't he? 
Remember last week we talked about the, uh, the leper had two tests, one of faith and the other one. Remember what it was? Obedience. And the leper failed the obedience test. This man, he had faith in Christ. He passed that test and he obeyed what he told him to do. He went and washed. So he passed both tests. We like this guy better than, than the leper, don't we? Well, this is the guy we want to be. We want to be the one who obeys both tests. So, but up to this point, he received his sight, but up to this point, he's never seen Jesus. He's only heard his voice. He's only felt his touch. He, he doesn't really know who he is. And yet, he's seen, he was going around telling everybody what this man named Jesus has done for him. Because when the Pharisee says, you know, what happened to you? Well, this, a man named Jesus, he put clay on my eyes and told me to go wash, and now I can see. This is cool. Well, who did it? Can you point him out to us? No, I've never seen him. I, I, I didn't get my sight until after I did what he told me to do and I went and washed. But I'll, you know, maybe I'll know his voice when I hear him. But he's never seen him, and yet he is going out sharing a testimony with him. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen the Master Potter? I haven't seen him, have you? Do you ever go around telling people about what he's done for you, though? Absolutely we do, don't we? And someday we'll see Him. Someday we will. But in this life, we're just obeying Him. And we're following Him in faith. And that's what this man was doing. The testimony spread around to everybody who had seen this man begging. I can imagine. People are saying, isn't that the guy who used to sit here begging? Isn't that the guy who's never had any eyesight? He's, he's completely blind. He's not bouncing off of stuff, but he is sure moving around today. Something's happened to this guy. It's a beautiful example of a new convert, isn't it? He's been shared and he wants to tell everybody he comes in contact, his neighbors, his friends, his family, everybody around. He wants to tell them what Jesus has done for him. And he mentions that name. Well, who did this for you? How would you get your sight? A man named Jesus did this for me. Not just a man in the crowd. He's telling them exactly who. He wasn't satisfied to receive a sight and then go away. He felt compelled to share his testimony. And then what the Lord does to us, we feel compelled to tell other people what we've done because he's called us to be witnesses, hasn't he? Even to the Pharisees and the Jews, who by this point in Jesus' ministry, they were quite adversarial. They did not believe he was from God. Or they did and they just didn't want to admit it because it could mean some. they could lose some of their influence if they admitted that the Son of God had come. So they, they weren't going to do that. But he, uh, he shared that testimony even with them. And to their allegations that, gee, well, he must be a sinner if he made clay, if he did that manual labor of making clay on the Sabbath day. And that is so hard, isn't it? You remember the process that he, he talked about? He spit on the ground and mixed the dirt up and he made some clay and he put, that's such a laborious thing to be doing on the Sabbath. I can only imagine how how long that must have taken and how much sweat it must I can understand why the Pharisees were furious over there, right? That, that's the most ridiculous thing in the world. And they're, so they're saying he must be a sinner. And to those allegations, what did he say? Whether he be a sinner or no, I, I know not. I can't tell you whether he's a sinner or not. All I can tell you is that I used to be blind and I'm not blind anymore. Isn't that good news? As they frowned at him because Jesus had made clay on the Sabbath day. What an incredible testimony. It's a confession, what we're reading here, it's a confession of a potter who has been reworked to take away the defects by the master, or maybe a vessel rather, who's been reworked by the master potter to take away the defects. It's come something like this, if we want to put it in, in our terms, maybe layman's terms. You be the judge of whether my potter is good or not. 
whether he's a sinner or not, whether he's a bad person. All I know is that wherein I was marred, now I've been reworked by the hands of the potter, the master potter. And to me, that's, that trumps anything you've got against him making clay on the Sabbath day. That's the, isn't that a beautiful picture? So we see in the potter's work, we looked at his method, we looked at his work. He, the, we saw a marred work, we saw a marvelous rework, we've seen uh, an outwork from this marred potter. As we uh, come to a close, I want us to look at the potter's promise that we have. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been reworked. There was, there was something that was marring your image. And we talked about that last week, how Adam, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they marred, it brought a marring of the image of God's creation. We've been created, or humans have been created in the image of God. And yet sin mars that image, and it mars it in every generation. There is a little baby in the process of being coming into the world this morning. Jasmine's baby, and that baby's going to come into this world with a sin nature. That baby will be marred by that sin. And it will only the master potter can change that. When that child gets old enough to trust Jesus Christ as Savior, that that child will be reworked or can be reworked into an image, into a, a vessel that bears the image of God again without that sin nature. But only till then. But if you're a believer in Christ, you've been reworked as clay in the hands of the potter. But I have to say, if there's anyone who has never trusted Jesus as Savior, doesn't that, that uh, blind man's original state, doesn't it mirror the image of a person who's never trusted Christ? That person is still in their natural state. They're still in a state of spiritual blindness. They might be able to see with their physical eyes, but they haven't dealt with a condition of immortal uh, soul in their lives. They're lost. They're in a condition that Scripture refers to as being dead in trespasses and sins. Scripture refers to that condition as being without Christ, having no hope, and without God in the world. We see that in Ephesians 2. If there's anyone here this morning, you've never trusted Christ, you're in that condition, and there's nothing you can do about that spiritual blindness. And there's nothing anyone else on earth can do for you to help that blindness, is there? We know that as Christians. We know there was nothing that we could do to remove that spiritual blindness from ourselves. Only the Son of God, the Master Potter, could do that when we put our faith and our trust in Him. And just like Jesus saw that, more, that man that was born blind, He sees the helpless condition of a lost person. He sees that. He knows it very well. He says, I know you're spiritually blind. He knows you. If you've never trusted Christ, He knows you just as well as He knew Jeremiah when He said, I knew you before you even conceived. He knows everything about you. And yet He still loves sinners enough to say, I am the Master Potter. I will rework you though you are a marred vessel. I can rework you into something that will glorify the Lord. Though your sin has caused you to be marred, I can rework you. And like the blind man in John's Gospel, one only needs to trust Jesus Christ to be, to be saved, don't they? They need to be quiet. And if you're here this morning you've never trusted Christ, I would urge you, be quiet. Listen to the working of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Listen to Him. Yield to His working in your mind. And trust in Jesus Christ as the only one who can remove that spiritual blindness. That's all we can do, isn't it? 
If you're here and you have trusted Christ, that's what you had to do, isn't it? You had to be still and listen to the Holy Spirit and you had to trust Him. Because we know, as a, a, according to the Scriptures, He died as a sinless sacrifice for us. Kevin went over some of this in Sunday school this morning. He died as a sinless sacrifice for us to pay the price of our sins, yours and mine. He was buried according to the Scriptures. He rose from the dead on the third day God demonstrating that He accepted His sacrifice. He raised Him from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And he, we're told in Scripture He ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Is that not good news? Not only did He save us, now He makes intercession for us before God the Father. And one day He's coming back when the time is right and He'll take us to be with Him forever. That's the day when we'll actually get to see the Master Potter who healed our spiritual blindness. Up until now, someone says, what happened to you? Well, I was spiritually blind, but a man named Jesus gave me my spiritual sight. What does he look like? I don't know. Can you point him out in the crowd? No. Never seen him. But he's coming back one day, and when he does, I think I'll know him. I think we'll all recognize him, don't you? The man born blind, I want to bring this out, he could have rejected Jesus' efforts. Because he had already accepted the fact that that was his normal. He could have said, no thanks, I'm fine. It's a, things are working out good. You know, I've got a little cup here and people come by and they, they drop in donations. and I'm, I'm good. Don't bother yourself with me. He could have done that, couldn't he? And had he done that, he would have been left in a hopeless, helpless estate of blindness for the rest of his life. If someone does not trust Jesus Christ, if they reject His gracious call to repentance, that's exactly what happens to them, isn't it? They remain in that state of spiritual blindness for the rest of their lives and farther than that throughout all eternity. I would implore, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ, don't let that happen to you. Don't, don't go another day without trusting Him. God's Word declares to anyone who will hear that behold now is the accepted time. Behold now is the day of salvation. Don't wait any longer. If the Holy Spirit's calling you, obey His voice now. Repent of your sin. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And like the man born blind, once He has given you that spiritual sight, worship Him and go tell other people about it. So I hope this has been helpful this morning. I'm glad that we serve the Master Potter. I'm glad that He came to seek and to save that which was lost, that which was spiritually blind. He came to deliver us from that. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your goodness to us. I thank You for this message. I thank You that You preserved it for us down through the ages. I thank You, Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Master Potter. He came to earth to find those of us who were marred. He came to offer Himself as the Master Potter to rework the vessels that were spiritually blind. And Lord, I believe that uh, You've done that in the lives of, of so many people here today. And I'm thankful for that. Father, if there is anyone under the sound of my voice who has never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, I pray that you'd speak to that person. pray they wouldn't wait another day, but they would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would recognize that spiritual blindness, and that they would commit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They'd put their faith in Him, and that we'd come away having received that spiritual sight, having been reworked into something for God's glory. As we close the service today, Lord, I pray that you move among hearts. Draw us each closer to you. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.